Are you ready, my friend? Ready. Were you born ready? Yes. Will you die ready? No. In that case, we can commence the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena, where we bait our friends into show intros they weren't aware they were going to be into. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts. Joining us on the line, the Enigma, the Beshaded, the Mystery, <laughs> the Man in Black, Traversa of the Foreign Realms himself, Alien Translator, CGB Covert, Go Blue. How are you doing today, <laughs> Special Agent CGB? Okay, but can we start the show now? Can we do the real intro? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I don't want to wear these the whole time. It's actually really dark in here. So can you just get the intro going, the actual intro? It's this too time? late, buddy. It's too late. No. Okay. You know, ship sailed. The mission is on the way. Your briefing has been <laughs> and, given and now it's time and, to be a professional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, and it might be the last time because it sounds like what happened this week is they just destroyed magic forever. Magic's just dying. Did you know that? This is it. This is it. Magic's dead. They finally killed it. They finally killed it. I found the fault <laughs> in the foundation of magic, and it's it's just all downhill from here, man. So don't know what to tell you. Let's start off by saying we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to try to keep this podcast under seven hours. Do you think we can do that, Kovoko Blue? I'm shooting for three. Okay. Three hours sounds reasonable. So strap yourselves in, crafties. We have a lot for you today. First of all, I'm going to go on a salty rant to get it off my chest. Next, we have a number of things to talk about. They've made like approximately a billion announcements this past week. We have spoilers going. We'll have a little news segment. And then mostly what we're going to talk about today is the historic jumpstart set. They are previewing a bunch of cards for that. There's approximately like 700 something cards in the set. So it's just going to be, I'm going to say it right now, crafties, we have no chance of like actually giving you a full overview of what the set's going to be like. So we're just going to do our best. You know, we're just going to like pick the cards that we think look good. And then the lunchbox will get shaken and we'll just see what happens from there. We're going to do what we can. So we're going to start off with a what have we been playing on the arena comment. And you know, CGB, this is what happened to me the other day. All right. And this this is actually what's been happening to me. I'm on this podcast. It's called the Arena Craft Podcast, where we try to give our audience useful information about things like, I don't know, meta games, right? So I do something like I fire up my arena client and I load up a deck and I jump into a competitive queue that a lot of people are playing and I'm trying to just figure out what's up, right? Just figure out the meta game. And uh, this week I'm interested in playing some like Golgari midrange, you know, because just seems like a fun deck. So I go into the play queue and I'm just testing, you know, making sure the list's tight, making sure I didn't forget anything like creature lands or whatever. And I, it's like 70% Golgari in the play queue. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, there's like an algorithm, whatever. Let's just jump into the standard 2022 rank queue. So I jump in there and it's just it's like every opponent's like turn one, snow-covered swamp, <laughs> turn two, woodland chasm, whatever, right? Pest summoning. Okay, so I played for three hours straight, a little bit off stream, mostly on stream. My private meta game was like 70% Golgari mirrors, and not just any kind of Golgari mirrors, Harness Infinity mirrors. It was like... I played against people who were like playing the greediest version of the deck, probably because they had themselves been playing Golgari Mirrors all day long. I played against an opponent who had four Elixir of Immortality, four Binding the Old Gods, 
for Professor Onyx in their deck, plus Harness Infinity and all this other stuff. It's like they probably had like three cards in their deck that cost less than seven mana. <laughs> anyway, it was too much for me, man. And this is especially following on the heels of, okay, so previously I'd been playing a lot with the Simic list, right? Trying to just get a sense for how well I was positioned in the metagame. So I'm playing Simic and my private personal metagame is like 50% your blood money deck, right? For anyone who doesn't know this deck, it's the Ozov Treasure deck, which is basically all about recurring Kaya and getting massive incremental advantage over the course of the game. You're welcome. So I figure Harness Infinity is like a cool card against that deck. You know, I had some theories about how to grind against that deck, right? Never played against that deck once with my Golgari deck. Not once. Days. Days and days. Never played against it once. It was like 50% of my Simic matchups, right? And I've just started to get really, really, really tired of feeling like I'm not actually playing the meta game at all. I'm just playing like this small walled garden that Wizards thinks I should be playing based on the card choices I've made and the deck choices I've made. And it was the first time I've ever like rage quit a stream because the thought of just spending the next two hours playing more Golgari Mirrors when all I really wanted to do was just try to like get a finger of the pulse on the meta game so that I didn't sound like an idiot on the podcast and just play a deck that I hadn't really played much and kind of get into it. So I made a post on Twitter. You retweeted it. A lot of people responded to it with frustration. What I, I just want to hear your thoughts and I want to hear your like not like your sympathetic friend to Arjuna thoughts, but like your just give me a really blunt take. What do you think about the matchmaker in the standard 2022 queue? How have you been finding it? The matchmaker serves a purpose, but for players like you and I, it's absolute trash and it sucks. And by that, I mean players who are heavily invested and are trying to really learn things about different matchups in the metagame itself. That's where the matchmaker falls down. Now, anybody who just started listening to this and maybe doesn't follow absolutely everything that comes out about Arena or hasn't been playing that long might think that they just heard the ravings of somebody who's just angry at some bad random chance or RNG that happened. Or maybe they think that CGB just made a Golgari video that day and that's why you played that much Golgari. And for those people just tuning in for that, no, the Wizards matchmaker has been both, they kind of alluded to say in it, they didn't really admit it, but at the same time, people have proven with various experiments. The matchmaker pairs you in ways that go beyond just your rank. It looks at your overall like MMR or win and loss ratio, things like that, and tries to find you somebody of comparable talent who wins as much as you do as you're climbing the ladder, even in ranked, both play queue and in ranked, this is a thing. And it looks at it examines your deck and it looks for decks of similar power level. Now, how does it know what similar power level is? I have always wondered about that because if you play standard, it doesn't seem very shy to pair rogues against Yorian, against Mono Red, against Mono White. And the compositions of those decks are very different, especially when you're talking about Yorian because it's a bigger deck, right? And it knows. So in my, my theory has always been that they just have somebody making their own tier list, right? Behind the scenes of like yep. this deck you know, is in this tier. So if you see this kind of cards, it can play against other decks in the tier. And my theory with standard 22 is that they didn't bother. <laughs> they just, they like, just literally, yeah, they didn't make a list. Yeah. So now the matchmaking algorithm is weighted to find you something very similar, comparable based on deck composition, but not on exactly what cards are in your deck on how many commons, uncommons, rares, and mythics you have. 
I think that's my theory. So when you play something that is reasonably like other people have had this idea, right? It's a small card pool. You know that you're not the first person trying Harness Infinity. So there are other people out there doing it. So when the matchmaker sees, oh, this composition and this composition, those are so close to equal. That'll be a good matchup. It's like, yes, bam, smash them together. There you go. Here's your matchup. You'll be happy. And that's why if you feel like you get a ton of mirrors in the play queue, and if you feel like you get a ton of mirrors when you kind of rebrew or redo a deck and try to set it against the meta you're seeing, and then suddenly that meta is gone, that is not just in your mind. That is the matchmaking algorithm at work. It is something that frustrates people. Drives them crazy. Drives me crazy. I promise. Uh, so yeah, my take is that, yeah, it's crap. And it obviously isn't getting cared for by wizards at this point. I don't have a problem with having a matchmaking algorithm. So one of my main beefs with Arena in general is just that I feel like in the decision tree of developing a video game, you come to all of these various forks in the road. Do we bias the platform to be fun for this group of people or to be fun for this group of people? And I feel like every single time that decision tree gets to a fork where the choice is make it fun for enfranchised players or make it fun for casual players it's like they always take the casual fork like every time i feel like every decision that's made on the platform is trying to funnel everyone towards this theoretical 50 percent win rate and I think that that's, you know, great for a new player because they're like getting matchups that feel playable for them. And, you know, their jank deck seems to be lining up against someone else's jank deck and whatever. And, you know, they're kind of having a great day. And I think for everyone else who's like looking up lists online, tuning to the meta, trying to get competitive, they just crafted their, you know, they put their precious mythics into their whatever planeswalkers and they get their Golgari deck together and they go on the ladder. Heaven forbid they spend time trying to figure out the last two or three flex spots for the meta that they reasonably expect. Heaven forbid Heaven they forbid, put that work in. man, you know? And then to just get funneled into this ladder where you're just playing mirror after mirror after mirror, it just feels like such a lazy implementation of the matchmaker, right? And I think that that's yeah. what really bothers me is that I just, I feel like, man, couldn't we just try anything else? Couldn't we just just change it up, man? Just give me something else. I don't care. You know, I don't care if I play against rogues a bunch. I don't care if I play against a matchup that's bad for me a bunch. Just don't give me mirrors all day, man. Don't don't do it. So especially in ranked. Yes, I think especially in ranked. This is a, a problem because the idea of ranked is supposed to give us the impression that we're now testing our metal, really seeing what we're made of. So yeah. that's kind of where a bit of the controversy lies. I think we could do a whole show on the matchmaker. Maybe we should. I just want to send you something really quick. I want to send you something. And I'll send this to Bottle Brush as well. This is from the decks that went 6-0 and on the ladder. 6-0. and This deck won six games in a row. Do you see any problem with this deck list I just sent you? Yes. Yeah, look, look hard at it. Um, it's running, what, like 14 lands? No, 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 no. Look at the number of cards in the main deck and look at the number of cards in the sideboard. Oh, uh, zero. It has zero, zero, zero cards in the main deck. Oh, in the main deck. Got it. Okay. In the main deck. The sideboard <laughs> is 61 cards. That's amazing. <laughs> so I don't know how this is possible or how this <laughs> happened. Somehow they... Like, they sideboard in their whole deck, but because somehow their main deck registers as having zero cards, 
they probably got paired against the absolute worst. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. That's Isn't incredible. that amazing? Yeah. Dude, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what, what elves are like pulling the cranks behind the scenes of MTG Arena. But at any rate, man, I'm just like, here's the thing. To put on my boomer hat for a little bit, I've been playing Magic since 1994. Covert Go Blue, roughly the same amount of time in the game. And mm -hmm. I know what Magic feels like. And sometimes Arena just feels real different. Yep. It's like, I don't know what exactly is going on behind the scenes. I'm not a shuffler truther. There's a lot of things that I'm not a conspiracy theorist about. But damn if the matchmaking doesn't just feel really weird sometimes. And I just, sometimes I just want to play magic, you know? Sometimes I just want to have that feeling of like you go to an F&M and you just play whoever you play, you know? And like, yeah, maybe there are a lot of people who think a certain deck is good and you play against that deck. But I just like... To have it feel so rigged all the time, it just wears on the soul after a while. And especially when I'm trying to get a sense of what's happening in the metagame, and I feel like I'm just getting fed my own little private metagame, it does. It makes me really frustrated. May I attempt to offer a some somewhat plausible solution? That would be awesome. Let's go. Okay. Standard events. Mm, okay. That the pool becomes kind of different and yeah there is still matchmaking in it but the odds of you actually joining a standard event and getting like three or four mirror matches when you're not playing a strict meta deck are pretty low because not that many people play standard events yeah that's a good idea do they have them for the 2022 queue no yeah that's a bummer. but but by god man and and i was going to get to this by god you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to it's no nope. it's not cool no nope. but it's the product we have it's what we have I, you know what my solution is I just start teching my deck for the mirror and then suddenly, boom, yep. no mirrors. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. You'll play mono red as soon as you sub in like a couple more counter spells. Yeah. Yep. As soon it's as I times. take out half the sweepers in the list, <laughs> it's just mono white and mono red all the way down. So there you go. Um, so that was my mini rant. Thanks for indulging me on that, Crafties. I, I do want to know in the comments, just let us know if this is something you've encountered, if you are a truther. Or if you think that I've just got my tinfoil hat on and I am a maniac. Yeah. Also, let us know if you just like rants. Yeah. You know? Are, are you here for salty rants? Is that content that's for you? Or are you, are you like, nah, that's, dude, I don't like rants. I like perfectly optimistic analytical approaches. Or do you like a good rant? You know? I'll tell you what, man. My blood pressure has room to spare. So let's go. Let's go. All right. Um, so speaking of standard 2022, I've been attempting to get a sense of what's happening in the meta game. I feel like it's been very difficult for me, but I have been watching some streams and, and other stuff like that. So I feel like I know a little bit about it. I know that you, the one and best of one, have been grinding away on this format for the last week. So I'd love to hear your just top level thoughts about what's happening in the meta. What are the big decks? How, you know, what's the speed of the meta feeling like? Etc. Sure. It came out firing and fast, like we talked about. And I don't think control decks were really ready to deal with the basically constant onslaught of creature lands as well as decent early threats. Like that, that kind of defined the early days of the meta. And then we got mid rangey talking last week about Simic Ramp, Cyclone Summoner, and um, the Blood Money deck the black white kind of control deck and what those have in common in that the way that they fight the aggro decks is they have board presence. They're not 
empty battlefield decks. And another card that plays into that really well is that another top end of the format is All Runs Epiphany because it makes those birds. Just having a few chump blockers and then also being able to get ahead by other means, like whether it's plussing a planeswalker or setting up some other huge game plan, that's usually the way to beat the aggro decks and grind them out. You have to be constantly developing and redeveloping a bit of a board presence. Kaya is really good for that. That's why I love the black-white deck quite a bit. So competing with those, the control decks have come a long way, I think. Doomscar, it, it's funny because in standard, Doomscar is one of the worst sweepers because there's so much indestructible and then haste to follow it up. That Doomscar isn't very playable in standard. It's in almost none of the good decks. And then in this format, Doomscar is the best sweeper because indestructibility is rare. And you do need something cheap because even if you're playing Doomscar on turn like four or five or six, you want it foretold because you need to Doomscar then also put your chump blocking learn card either like from hunt for specimens or the the core cleric professor of symbology like you have to play something afterwards to chump block their creature land so that the next turn you cast mascot exhibition so you have something to chump block their creature land and then maybe you take over from there because if they're pouring mana into their creature land they're not developing more threats so now the control decks are they're they're very much Doomscar decks. A lot of blue-white, a lot of Esper. Sometimes you see black-blue. Blood in the Snow, I think, is the other by far best sweeper of the format, mostly because of the Blood Money deck, but it's very playable in the control decks as well because it also, once again, creates a blocker for the turn after you sweep on its own. So now the control decks are playing. Like, I've had good results with Esper and Demir and things like that, and it feels like a... It feels like a complete format. It feels like your aggro that you can play mono white and mono green and you can win. And goblins is not terrible, although I think it's definitely worse than those two. You can play the black white mid range deck. I think it's really, really good. And I think that Prismari Dragons is still all right. It's not terrible. I definitely still groan when I play against it when they have good draws. So I think that Is It Dragons is still one of the best decks. And then on top of that, I'm pretty sure that you can play an Esper or a black-blue control deck and get good success as well. I have. So I think those are all good choices for hitting the ladder as the new Mythic season starts like now, like right now, there's a new mythic season. Yeah. You know, it must be nice, CGB. You know, the last time I played against an Azorius control deck on the ladder, 1994. Yep. <laughs> really? Okay. I, I better get to work. I better popularize them again. It's surreal. It's literally surreal to hear you talking about like the part of the meta game that you're playing in. Because I literally, I cannot tell you the last time I played against a blue base control deck in the standard 2022 format. It feels like it's been a week. Oh, it's a lot less common than all the other things I mentioned. I grant that. Yeah, it's just the fact that like with previous decks that I was playing, I like fairly often run into Demir control or like some, you know, some kind of blue base control deck, some kind of old school base control deck, right? And I just like, I've not seen it in the longest time and i know it's out there and that's that's what frustrates me right i feel i literally feel like i'm living in some kind of bad matter dream (laughs) (laughs) well i i will tell you if you live in a bad meta dream if you can get to a world without aggro the i i did play an, an is it mill deck today nice that one by dual striking a kicked maddening cacophony most games. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you follow it up with like one Tasha's hideous laughter and it's over because their deck is like under 20 cards at that point. You know, there, there's stuff you can do out there. I will say that's, 
it really beats up the blood money deck if they can't find aggression with something like a faceless haven. It, they oh, yeah. they don't realize that their deck is about to disappear while they're over there plussing their Kaya. Yeah, I mean, Turbo Mill is certainly an excellent answer against slow mid-range, that's for sure. Not good against green. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, old growth troll? Well, I scoop. We're yeah. done here. Yeah. <laughs> so my most fun deck experiment for this past week has been I built a four-color taking turns deck and basically the idea is that we're getting the uh the treasure painter what's her name Kali Kalane Kalane so we're trying to get down Kalane and then follow it up with a Velomarcus law hold right getting our hasty dragon to seven seven and then spiking Alvin's epiphany off the top <laughs> okay that sounds sweet <laughs> and uh okay so the deck is surprisingly consistent I managed to do the thing a lot and my little walled garden of the meta game just kept serving me like soul shatter decks, Alrin's epiphany decks, decks that had abundant answers to dragons, and I felt like a total freaking moron. Dude, you are scarred. <laughs> Listen to you, man. It's so scarred. It's been this a week. bad time, man. It's oh. been a bad time. What if in a year with nothing but more and more and more cards on Magic Arena, we said, hey. Out of nowhere, we're going to drop like 700 new cards and 31 of them are going to only be on Magic Arena using mechanics that can only exist in the digital realm. Now, are you happy? Dude, I am stoked. I am okay. stoked. Here yes. we go. So, some historic updates. Just before we jump into Jumpstart, I can't proceed without acknowledging that they made another announcement this week. Which is, Covert Go Blue, all of our dreams are getting answered. Wait, are you telling me that the, we're going to purge the salt right here? Oh, yeah. Salt, salt is getting purged. All of the salt is just leaving my bloodstream as we speak because... Bring it to me. Okay, people for the last year, it feels like, have been asking for a regular, normal, everyday, historic brawl queue on the client. And you know what they did? They are giving that to us. And not only is it going to be any historic brawl queue, it's actually going to be a hundred card historic brawl queue, which is just like freaking sweet, man. So maybe we can finally do our showdown at some point that we were talking about doing. Yeah, they didn't say it's coming to direct challenge, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, we'll see, man. We'll see, right? But, you know, if you listen to our show that we did, what was that, a month ago or something like that, you'll know that we both spent a lot of time playing this format. We both find it to be very beloved. People in the arena community in general, this is probably the most asked for feature that I'm aware of, or from my mm -hmm. perception, it's just like every single announcement they make, there's like all the stands in the chat being like, when are we getting the historic brawl queue? So it's happening. And I'm really, I'm glad that it's going to be the 100 card format. I just think that that is the clear winner over the 60 version. I think 60 makes sense for standard, but yep. for historic, you can fill the decks out and... Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, it's like a bit more of a challenge. Your deck needs to be a little bit more synergy focused than it otherwise might have been. Some people have complained that it edges out some aggro lists a little bit, which I think is, I don't know. What do you think? You seem skeptical. <laughs> I mean, the format edges out aggro. That's lists. true. There's not much that you would do to the format that wouldn't edge out more aggro. I mean, look, aggro mages, you got best of one all over the ladder and we we have covered that they just set up the matchmaker so if we dare if we dare cut sweepers you get to farm the all the other decks let us have this let us have some historic brawl although i will say i've seen some pretty good historic brawl aggro decks karizev the hound the one white hound oh, so you always yeah, start with a one dude. mana two two yeah, yeah. 
Hound of Conda? Isamaru. I played against some Voltron decks built around around the Hound of Conda. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Killian is a really interesting one because you can just play a bunch of auras for cheap because any spell that targets a creature you control costs two less. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, you can do aggro, but it's not going to be busted. And you're going to have to do five more damage. And your opponents generally are going to have very greedy decks. So you have more pressure than ever to close the game quickly or you will die. But yeah, anyway, that's like the historic brawl analysis show that we're kind of burying the lead on. Absolutely. So note to you crafties that they have told us that this is a use it or lose it queue. So yep, we'll have it for what, like August and September or something like that. And August 10th through September 8th. Okay. August 10th through September 8th. If the queue is healthy, we keep it. If not... They get rid of it. So play Brawl if you like it. Okay, thanks. Yep. yep, that's the memo. I will certainly be doing some playing on that queue because I did really, really enjoy the format. And uh, I'm excited to get like second layer into it too. I feel like we we went deep on like the obvious top end of the format, but I think there's a lot of unexplored territory that I'm excited to get into. Now that we've purged the salt, I look forward to your complaints about like sleeving up your agar, the freezing flame deck and getting <laughs> nothing but mirrors. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Yes. Oh my gosh. Dude, there's nothing better than playing a giant's mirror and none of your cards work on the opponent's cards because they all have giant's protection and stuff. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Magic at its finest. Yep. Wonderful. All right. So, so we got that out of the way. It is now time to talk about the biggest thing to hit historic, potentially since the inception of the format. This is the historic jumpstart set. And I don't know, man, like this set's just really bringing people out of the woodwork. I've seen some ranty, angry, freaking, just livid magic players talking about this set. Just off the dome for you, like, are you excited about this digital only direction of magic or like, how are you feeling about it? I'm not excited about it. I'm not mad about it. Mm -hmm. It's just a thing that's there and... Honestly, most of my opinion on it is I don't plan to do much of it, but I also, I'm not afraid of it. Maybe that's naive, but I also don't play a lot of Historic, and I'm usually pretty happy in Standard. If it becomes a regular part of Historic Brawl, that would probably hurt mm. because I enjoy that format. But for the most part, I don't play much Historic, so I, I'm just over here like, yeah, I can see why they're doing it, but I'm also not excited. I feel... Maybe I'm in the minority here, but I'm pretty stoked about the direction that they're going with these digital-only cards. All right, Crafties, ready yourself, because I'm going to give a hot take, all right? Oh, here we go. If if you look at these cards and your first thought is, this isn't magic, get over it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I have said my piece. You know how much vintage I've played in my life, Kovac Go Blue? Uh, one, maybe two. Zero. Theoretical games. Zero. Never okay. played vintage in my life. How about Legacy? Um, I'm going to go with a zero. I Bob. touched a Legacy deck once. Son of a... You scammed me. You set me up for <laughs> a that. Friend, a friend laid out the cards and I got to touch them. All right? Okay. I've also never played Modern. Me either. Do you know Why? Because they're just totally different formats that play cards I will never have, right? This is the way Magic has been since the very inception of the format, all right? Anyone who is puristic about like, oh, well, I can't take these cards and play them in paper. Get over it. 
Do you play legacy and paper? Do you play vintage and paper? Probably not. Why not? Because those cards cost tens of thousands of dollars. Do you have that? No, neither do I. It's cool. I don't care. I just accept that like vintage is its own format, right? It has its own card pool. It has its own rules. They have freaking one-offs in vintage, right? That's totally different than most other formats in Magic. It's fine. It's a different format. It's cool, right? Think about Commander. Like think about how many cards have been printed into Commander that you can't play in like a bunch of Magic's formats. It's a different way of playing Magic. And so when people are coming out and like belly aching about how these digital cards are somehow different, or they're like somehow unique in the world of magic. They're just not. I mean, okay, yes, you are technically correct, right? So if you're part of the technically correct crowd, you can just can go and hang out with the other unpopular kids, I guess. <laughs> but for the rest of us, man, like this is modern gaming, dude. This is modern mm-hmm. gaming. And I think that some people are like channeling their frustration about other areas of magic into this one sticking point. Because they like, you know, Wizards does something that it's it's like Wizards had like a heart to heart moment. They showed some vulnerability. They tried something new, right? And this is where like the bitter magic players are just like, oh, you opened up your heart. I'm just going to rip it out right now. Yep. I just, that's what I'm seeing here. Like I said, it's a hot take. It's a strong opinion, but there it is. I think that these cards are really exciting. You know, they tried Companions. That was kind of weird. They switched up on the experiment. They're trying this. It's an experiment. The cool thing about these digital-only cards is if they get something wrong, it's digital-only. They can just change it. It's not that big of a deal. Anyway, that's my take. I think that it's an exciting new direction for Magic, and I like the idea of Arena becoming just a different way to play Magic. I think that's perfectly fine. I think it adds value to the platform. It gives people a reason to want to log on, as opposed to just having it be like some facsimile of Paper Magic when they can't play Paper Magic. So I'm just like a total thumbs up. Now, as far as the individual mechanics, which we'll get into, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll suck. Maybe they'll be too powerful, whatever. But that's just how magic's always been. So again, I don't really see a difference, right? It's just a different mechanic that they came up with. And we should judge it on the merits of whether it's fun and how it plays in the game. As part of a much bigger discussion, I'll just a little piece of it. I think that the average person really underestimates how hard it is for creative people to stay inspired. You and I get to be in a spot and you, the person at home who plays magic for fun, you're in a spot where you get to pick up the game, play it. Either you have fun or you don't. You have an opinion and you log off and that's the way it is. And you ask probably all the time, as we often do, why? Why did they do this? Why did they do that? Why are they changing it? I had fun playing this game three years ago. Right now it's not fun. Why don't they just make it fun like they did three years ago? And like people don't understand how hard it is for creatives to stay motivated. The people who design these cards and try to make a fun game do not want to make the game that was three years ago because that's boring. They could just keep reprinting grizzly bears, but now we're going to call it, I don't know, rabid wolverine or whatever other animal like, like psycho zebra, just two twos for two left, right and center. And that's a, that is a thing that people go back to all the time. You know, we could just do another plane where we watch some movie, get inspired, rip off their world in some kind of a shenanigan and then print a bunch of grizzly bears in it. Not hard to do. They could do that forever. Some people think that's what they would like, that that would be fun if magic were just like it were a few years ago. The truth is that the only thing that really keeps people engaged and keeps creatives creating is the opportunity to surprise and delight their audience. 
you have to be able to surprise and delight your audience. And I'm going to just give you a tough covert go dad moment, everybody. Not all surprises are good. <laughs> You're not going to like them all. Some, some are a kick in the nuts. That's just the way it is. And you know what? The ones that you love, you take for granted so quickly. Your brain just just makes that canon now. Ooh, I really liked, you know, whatever set that was. And now it's like everything should be like that. But somebody had to create that out of nowhere where there was nothing before and they surprised you and it was delightful. And they have to try to do that again. If they just keep giving you the same things, what happens? You're, you keep taking it for granted. So yes, we got to do weird freaking stuff with magic. That's That's my take on it. We got to get weird. Dude. Right? I mean, think about how many people hated Planeswalkers when they first came out. Me! I, I, it's true. I quit the game. I quit. <laughs> oh, yeah? You uninstalled over Planeswalkers? <laughs> the behind the scenes was that I was out of money and I sold my collection. But at the okay. time, I phrased it with a lot of anger and spite to my friends as these Planeswalkers are stupid and I quit. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. Here we have the, the Nico Aris Fosterer themselves. To fairy, the incarnation of Gandalf <laughs> in, in the magic. So yeah, I mean, you know, things change, right? And so in lieu of that, why don't we talk about some of these new cards which showcase the new mechanics? You, CGB, have selected some cards here. I don't know if the cards that you've selected, like picked all of the new mechanics to showcase. But maybe that'll be a good place to start from the list that you've put. I, I try to hit some good ones and then we can skim over what's been spoiled since then or what you really want to cover. But yeah, I thought it would be a good place to start. Awesome. Who's on reading duty first? Uh, why don't you go ahead and read read this card? All right. Yeah. Oh, boy. We're going to start with the return of everybody's favorite mechanic. This card is Long Tusk Stalker. Long Tusk Stalker, it, it will feature a new mechanic. So we get to cover perpetually here. It's one green for a 1-1 one, one cat. It's only an uncommon. And that's okay. One thing that we didn't touch on much is how freaking expensive this set is yes. going to be to collect through the jumpstart model yes, and spend wild cards on. Every uncommon or common that is actually good is mana from freaking heaven, dude. Yes. <laughs> like it's a big deal. Yes. Anyway, this is an uncommon and it says whenever Longtusk Stalker enters the battlefield or attacks, you get energy and you may pay energy energy and long tusk stalker perpetually gets plus one plus oh you may choose a creature card in your hand if you do that card perpetually gets plus one plus oh one one and I'll, I'll warm up the crowd for perpetual with perpetual it doesn't matter what zone your card is in and it doesn't matter when it changes zones and as far as paper magic goes we've always had this thing where basically when a thing goes to the graveyard or blinks or goes back to the hand or the command zone and comes back it's like a new card and anything that happened to it gets reset you know what i mean we've always had that as part of magic and perpetually breaks that so when we say that you pay two energy and long tusk stalker perpetually gets plus one plus oh it is now a two one assuming this is the first time you did this ability, it will always be a 2-1 from this point forward until something else perpetually changes its power or toughness. Like if it goes like to the graveyard and you bring it back, it comes back as a 2-1, not a 1-1. If you bounce it to your hand after this ability resolves and play it, same thing. It is now a 2-1, not a 1-1. If you give it minus 1 minus 0 until end of turn, the next turn it will be a 2-1. And it also gives this ability to something in your hand. Now, usually interacting with the hand is really hard because by the time we play it, it's a new instance of the card. Here, if you have a gold span dragon in your hand, just as the first creature that came to mind, it is now a 5-4. And when you play it, 
it will be a 5-4. If you discard it from your hand and reanimate it from the graveyard, it will be a 5-4, etc. It just, it has this bonus as if it were printed on the card. I think that's a good way to remember it. You yeah. add this to it as if it's permanently printed on the card for the game. And just to add to that, printed on that card. If you have two Long Tusk Stalkers in play, for example, the ability functions independently for each one. So it's not every card named Long Tusk Stalker gets plus one plus oh, it's that instance of Long Tusk Stalker. So let's say you play out your Long Tusk Stalker, you use the ability, that Stalker gets it, you pick one creature in your hand which gets it, right? Now let's say later in the game you play another Long Tusk Stalker, it's going to come down as a 1-1. If you use the ability on that second Long Tusk Stalker, it will then become a 2-1. You can use that ability on another card in your hand, or even the same creature card in your hand. But those abilities function discreetly. So I think that that's something that we need to remember about these cards, because I think that's going to be a place where people get confused. Is like, is it just every card named this, or is it just this particular instance of the card? And it is the particular instance. Yep, 100%. I think that this ability is both really, really cool, and it's going to take some time to unpack just where it's busted. Because yeah. at first you're like, okay, a little bit of extra beats for your gruel or your mono green deck. Nice. You know, you hit a little harder. That's sweet. But there are a lot of cards in Magic that are balanced based on its base is this. And my first example that I think of is Dreadhorde Arcanist. If you yeah. perpetually give a Dreadhorde Arcanist plus one plus oh, oh. then from now on you're just by on baseline casting bigger spells than you should have been able to. That's sweet. That's just one card, right? I mean, this yeah, just one card. There's probably better examples. That's just a yeah. top of the head, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. There are so many cards where the power of the creature matters to what the function of the card is. So, and I mean, you know, cheap cards, one of the things that I'm really excited to see in this set is that it looks like they're adding more cheap and potentially powerful cards to Historic. And that is just really a mark of a powerful format is like how good are your one drops, right? If you go into basically any format older than historic, or let's say older than pioneer, right? If you go into like paper formats, decks that are based around killing you with creatures, like a lot of their creatures either cost one mana or maybe they top out a two mana with cards like Tarmogoyf. Yeah. <laughs> and then anything more expensive is either like some Titan that you cheat into play on turn two or three or like Hollow One that you cheat into play without spending any mana on it. So that's kind yep. of the, that's basically how creatures work in older formats. And I'm kind of happy to see Historic moving ever closer to that just because it will help to keep up with some of the power level of other kind of busted things that are happening in the format. Another thing I'm excited about is just that they're bringing back the energy mechanic. Like, dude. Because oh, here's the Controversy. Thing. I know, controversy, right? But not that controversial at the moment in Historic because energy just hasn't been a thing. I mean, it's been fun. You can win some games with it, but definitely not like an OP mechanic in Historic by any means. Man, energy, when it left standard, it was the Eldraine level of like looking yep. forward to this rotation. Yep. If people who weren't around back then and don't know, the energy... Kaladesh and its energy mechanic dominated standard in the way that Eldraine and the Adventures have dominated this standard to the point where people were just so sick of it and the rotation was heralded as the greatest rotation of all time. Yes. Much as this fall will be. And yeah, they want all energy cards from now on to just be abject limited fodder, right? Yes. So anyway, I'm excited about this card. This card could be good. And uh, 
Just stoked to see what people do with it. Yeah, I think this card is very good. Yeah. Next one, we're going to read Hardened Scales. So this is a reprint, and it enables basically a whole type of deck. It doesn't showcase the new mechanics, but it's just something that you need to know about is coming to the format. This is a one green enchantment that says, if one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on a creature you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on it instead. This is a rare one mana get oh more counters god. are you ready for more plus one plus one counters oh my god so the the only question in my mind cgb is walking ballista in historic when <laughs> with heliod already in the format by the way that creates an infinite combo for anybody who missed it yes. i don't know if they'll ever put walking mm-hmm. ballista in they had the chance yeah. to do it and yeah, they didn't do Kaladesh. it in Kaladesh. so yeah walking ballista crafties is an artifact which it's just kind of ridiculous it's a zero cost artifact you can pump mana into it when you cast it you can also pump mana into it after you cast it you can put a bunch of plus one plus one counters on it and you remove counters from it to ping things to deal damage whether it's to the face or to creatures so pretty much i'm pretty sure all of the hardened scales combo decks in other formats, and there are a number of yes. them. It's a very, very powerful thing. I'm pretty sure all of them feature Walking Ballista, but this card has, you know, Hardened Scales has proven itself to just be like capable of doing incredibly explosive things in any counters deck, and it could actually be the perfect power level for Historic. What do you think? We're going to find out. I think that people are eager to play this type of deck. I think it's just one of many archetypes that they've tapped into that. They can keep selling you and getting you to craft new cards if every single release they tap a certain archetype. And the Mm -hmm. plus one plus one counters is one of those. Getting that to be historic level, like it doesn't have to be metagame defining. It has to be good enough to get you to mythic. Mm -hmm. And I think it I think it is because we have Winding Constrictor, we have Conclave Mentor, and we have Collected Company, and we have just a ton of things that put plus one plus one counters on stuff we even have the ozolith if you want to go there i i think this deck is real and again not in the competitive meta sense but in the you get to mythic sense mm-hmm. yeah i think i'm with you yeah i think this could be like a like a surprisingly powerful kind of jank thing you just got to keep an eye on cards like this because we are literally one walking ballista away from like an absolutely busted counters deck, right? So it doesn't even have to be Ballista. If they just print something else that's even remotely as good as that, it could be enough to push a deck like this into like, whoa, dangerous territory. Yep. Hangerback Walker would be a really be big a really one. cool card and probably not too strong. So yep, let's keep an eye on this one for sure. All right, this next card here, Yogmoth Run Physician. I'll go ahead and read this card. Uh, you know what? Okay, before I read this card... <laughs> A of all, I was glad to see this card. And B of all, one of the reasons I was glad to see this card is that it is not Urza. (laughs) Uh I I really hope that they don't print the Urza version of this card into Historic. What was it? Urza High Artificer? Is that what that card's called? Yes, Okay. I think so. So Urza, we don't need to go into it, but that card has just been part of numerous unbelievably busted modern decks. It's probably seen play in some like legacy and stuff too. Also from playing commander, it's one of the most like kill this now when somebody like busts out Urza at the commander table, you know, like, yeah, 
Kill him. Yep. No mercy. So to my knowledge, Yawgmoth has not made the same splash. And so maybe it's like the perfect power level for Historic. So Yawgmoth Thrawn Physician, two black black. It is a legendary creature, human cleric at Mythic. It's a 2-4. It has protection from humans, which is an interesting line of text. Pay one life, sacrifice another creature, put a minus one minus one counter on up to one target creature and draw a card. And then you can pay black black and discard a card to proliferate. I think they've designed this card to be a little self-contained engine where you're like using it as a sack outlet, you're minusing on your opponent's board, and then eventually you're like proliferating to just kind of wrath your opponent's board away. But this is just a very versatile card. This is the kind of card that could show up in a number of different lists. Obviously, it has to be a sack list. This looks to me like kind of a top end in a sack deck. What are you thinking about this card at the moment? It's an open-ended sacrifice outlet. Because you can use the ability as much as you want as long as you have the life and the creatures to do it. So if you can somehow assemble a couple little creatures, now you're moving minus one, minus one counters around for free and drawing cards for free. Like it doesn't require mana from that point, which is kind of amazing. And then the black, black discard a card proliferate. Proliferate can increase the minus one, minus one counters on wherever those are and just like make them stack higher, which is great. But it can also affect any plus one, plus one counters or any loyalty counters or any energy counters or any counters that are on the battlefield and add more to those. So you can grow your planeswalkers, you can increase your energy counts. There's a lot of things that you can do with it. This is a card that has unique abilities. It definitely has a powerful like read. And then finding the right home is complicated because you can usually make a home that uses one ability well, but kind of doesn't care about the others. And that I think is the challenge of the card is finding a way to get the most out of it. Totally agree. But very versatile card. And yeah, it could show up. I think it's cool to have it in the format. Agreed. Yeah. I'll read the next one. Oh, gosh. This 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 is a card that unlocks the power of the digital-only <laughs> world. The Pool of Vigorous Growth. This is one and a green for an artifact. X and tap, discard a card. Create a token that's a copy of a random creature card with mana value X. Activate only as a sorcery. What? What's wrong? So, okay, this could just be any creature. Any creature. That's one of the questions, like, is it what's legal in the format, or is it literally any creature that's ever been programmed into the arena client? I have to imagine that it is in the client and in the format. That's my guess. No. No, I, I, I'm going on record. They don't give a damn about what's legal in the format. <laughs> and if they want to pull in something that uh, like straight out of uh, oh freaking legacy gosh. or vintage, they're going to do it. That That's my prediction for you. <laughs> okay, this would be a cool Easter egg is if they just, you know, if they randomly put some cards in without telling us what they were and suddenly exactly. you see some screenshot of someone being like, I got an Emrakul of the Eons torn off of my pool of vigorous growth. That would be pretty sweet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> See, this is what I said when I was reviewing this card with my chat. Yeah. I'm like, the reason that cards like this need to exist for magic is because this creates a genuine, and it sounds so cheesy, but these things matter in 2021, a genuine social media moment of, oh my God, can you believe what just happened? Yeah. Some like the odds of it are going to be low, but someone out there is going to hit something that you didn't know was in the game. Mm -hmm. You literally had no idea and you're going to hit it and you're going to be like, oh my God. And you mentioned, you know, uh, Emrakul, like, yeah, that would be a mind blowing hit off of this. Emrakul, a very famous card in magic. Let me throw you something 
like one better. What if the cards from Innistrad Midnight Hunt could come flying out of this? What if a card that hadn't even been spoiled yet? What if what if that's how it got spoiled? What if that's how they spoiled a card from the new set when it just comes flying out of the pool? (laughs) Well, and you know what this highlights, Kovaco Blue, is that the pool of creatures it could be will be ever expanding. And it could be whatever they want on any day ever. Yes, that's true. They could behind the scenes doctor the quote randomness of it and like change the pool. But that's the thing. It's something like this. It's bigger than the game that is being played itself. And Spikes might not like that very much because they want it to be all about the game itself because they play the game to prove who is the smarter, better magician. But the Timmies and Johnnies, like, they live for this. This is a surprising and delightful experience that they don't get from playing Magic normally. And that's why these things have to exist. 100%. You know what I think about when I see this card? I feel like this brings kind of that cube experience to just like a regular historic game. And what I mean by that is cube is a format where like, You build these kind of wacky, overpowered, greedy, ambitious decks where you're trying to like cheat some big thing out or just like play some cool overpowered card that doesn't really fit into regular constructed formats. And cards exactly like this give you that wacky feeling of like, oh yeah, exactly that like whether it's social media or even just sharing it with your friend, like, whoa, look at what I did. Look at what happened. So I'm totally into this, man. This is the kind of card. And I think this is one of the reasons why I'm excited for this set is like this is a perfect example of a card that's just probably not going to be good enough to see competitive play but it's just going to create so much surprise delight and joy for anyone who plays it do you think it could be competitive yes i mean here's the thing there are certain cmcs where you're pretty much guaranteed to get something banging right now let me let me throw it let me throw it to you this way okay on whether or not it's competitive forget the mana that you're putting into it Forget trying to hit the right CMC. Forget what's coming out of it. Just assume random grizzly bear comes out of it Mm -hmm. or random blob of a creature comes out of it. Mm -hmm. Just stop trying to hit anything specific or special. It's a two mana artifact discard outlet. That's true. You can set any amount you want. The amount can be zero. If you pay zero and tap this, you probably get an ornithopter, something terrible, but you get the discard outlet. And what's in this set? madness is in this set there baby you, you can discard your fiery tempers you can discard your blazing root wallas which we'll yep. probably get to but they give you benefits for discarding or you can discard your giant re- monster that you want to reanimate or you can discard uh your giant ultimatum that you want to get back with mizix mastery there's a lot of things you can do with a discard outlet that have nothing to do with what comes out of the pool. But the fact that even doing it for zero will get you like an ornithopter means you are getting resources from it. Yep, that's a really good point. And I mean, here's another cool thing. It's like, think about how many creatures are there in Magic that have CMC 11 or CMC 13 or CMC 14, right? There are these certain CMCs that are probably not particularly well populated. And you might just get like a pretty high hit ratio on some pretty nasty creatures if you can do that. Yes. Or you'll just hit the worst one and it will still be like an 11 11 and you might still win the game. Like, like even a terrible seven drop. Like, I want, so I want to play a control deck. Mm -hmm. Go figure, right? Mm -hmm. But I want to play a control deck where I neutralize the opponent's threats. And when I have nothing else to do with my mana, I pop stuff out of the pool. I mean, it, it might be a terrible limited seven drop, but it'll still kill someone if you stopped their A plan enough. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah, you're right. It's going to be fun. This card is sweet. I am 100% in on this card. Love the design. I think it's going to be fun. It might even be good. So, A+. Dude, everybody get into the pool, baby. Get into the pool. <laughs> this is going to become go. a pool stream and a pool podcast. Let's go. So, we're now going to open every show with, what did you get out of your pool this week? <laughs> Love it, dude. Oh, my God. All right. So, next up, we have Kiara, Wrath of the Tides. Three and a blue planeswalker, Kiara. It starts with four loyalty. Plus one, Conjure a Kraken Hatchling into your hand. So let's stop right there and talk about Conjure. Conjure basically means that you create a card. So this is not a token. It is an actual magic card. This card can be played. It can go into a graveyard. It can be bounced back to your hand. It can go into exile. It can even be played from exile if you have a card that lets you do that. It's almost like instead of bringing a card to your hand from the sideboard, you just brought a card to your hand just from the blind eternities, right? Do you know why the boomers hate Conjure? Why do they hate it? They hate it because it's happened to them before. Oh, really? When, like, when their opponent's best friend just kind of slips them the card they need over <laughs> their shoulder. <laughs> okay, aka but that's, cheating. Yeah, but that's yeah. a way that you can think about the mechanic. Like, they, you literally just kind of had the card slipped into your hand and it's an, the actual card if you're a paper magic player trying to calculate how Conjure is different. Yes. Totally. So any card that it'll say Conjure A, and sometimes it's a specific card, and I think sometimes they have some generic ones, I don't remember, but that's it. Just imagine whatever card you're conjuring is just a card that goes into your hand, and it's just, for the rest of the game, it's just a magic card. And by the way, a Kraken Hatchling is a one blue for a... Z I'm oh. going to try to do this from memory. One blue for a zero four uh, yeah. beast. Okay. A zero four beast vanilla. Yep. One blue for a blue zero four vanilla beastie creature. That's, that's my memory too. Is it a kraken as well, like a beast kraken? Oh, maybe it is a kraken. Yeah. Ah, you're right. You'd imagine it would not be. just a beast. Kraken is a type. We'll see. So yeah, so plus one, you get a free one blue mana O4. It has another plus one untapped target creature or land until your next turn. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to and dealt by that permanent and then minus three you may sacrifice a kraken so I, I think that these hatchlings are krakens you may sacrifice a kraken if you do create an eight eight blue kraken creature token this card's juicy it is a juicy card yeah because the plus one in a way is card advantage although it's not like pure card advantage but it is technically more of the digital cardboard so if Brainstorm were legal in a format like this, you could conjure a Kraken Hatchling Brainstorm and then put the Hatchling back on top and keep the cards that you drew. That that would be interesting, but obviously that was too powerful, so we suspended it before it broke Kiora Wrath of the Tides. <laughs> anyway, uh, the plus one is actually a combination of ramp and defense. When you make it so your opponent's creature can't deal damage... Until your next turn, that means that when it attacks, it doesn't hurt Kiora or you. And the plus one can also untap a land, so you can just, you know, keep getting more mana. So it's kind of an elegant defend itself or do something else design, which I think is sweet for a Planeswalker. Because I don't like Planeswalkers that have abilities that you just never want to use. Yeah, and... This is really cool, man. This is a very cool design because this can actually neutralize your opponent's creature lands as well. It can. Yep. That's right. And the interesting thing is that it untaps them. And so you could actually get into these like 
awkward play patterns where you neutralize your opponent's creature land, but then it untaps and now your opponent's able to do something on your turn that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. There's going to be some fun little play patterns with this for sure. Yep, the minus three of sacrificing a Kraken to make an 8-8. You know, you could go plus one, minus three if you just want an 8-8 over two turns. It's not very powerful for Historic because that's very, very slow. But as kind of a second, if your second Kiora comes down and you needed something to do with these Kraken Hatchlings that you drew, you could just turn one into an 8-8 right away. That's pretty epic. So yeah, this card is all right. I don't think the Historic power level is all the way there. But I think it's good enough that people will want to play with it and experiment with it. Yeah, totally. I mean, 8-8's a no joke. A Planeswalker that can just spit out an 8-8, it's pretty sweet. So now that we're going to have historic brawl, I also feel like I have to analyze a lot of these cards oh, as yeah. commanders and historic brawl oh, cards. Yeah. I don't know if this is the sweetest commander. It seems like a very medium commander, more of a card that goes in the hundred, but it's still an option if you want to play with some new commanders from the set. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Why don't you take us into shoreline scout? Shoreline scout. This is a one blue uncommon. Yay. And it says creature merfolk scout. It's 1-1. When Shoreline Scout enters the battlefield, you may exile a merfolk card or a land card from your hand. If you do, conjure a tropical island card into your hand. Oh my goodness. As long as another merfolk or an island entered the battlefield under your control this turn, Shoreline Scout gets plus one plus oh. Dual lands are back on the menu, boys. Dude, I don't know what to make of this card. Like, this card is freaking sweet. It is. Oh my goodness, it's sweet. This card could actually be like seriously good, man. Like, oh my gosh. The the plus one plus O is a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a gained ability, so it doesn't stack. I also like this templating because we don't see it very often. Usually we see whenever an island enters the battlefield, this card gets plus one plus O. And then somebody's like, well, if I find a way to play multiple lands a turn, like with Growth Spiral, it, it gets better and better. Here, it has this ability that when this happens, it gets plus one plus O till the end of the turn but it doesn't matter how many islands actually enter the battlefield it's just always plus one plus oh yeah same with merfolk it would be a bit too broken the other way wouldn't it it would be like a three one and a four one a number of turns it would be nasty yeah so let grandpa arjuna and uncle cgb just rewind the clock for you here for a second back to the good old boomer days of magic the days of magic where the devs just they just didn't quite realize what magic cards did and uh, they had this great idea. They were like, you know what? Why don't we print a cycle of lands? They'll be rare and they'll just be twice as good as regular lands. We'll take two lands, staple them together. You can just play it and tap it for either one immediately. They called these the dual lands and they were like some of the most powerful magic cards ever printed. They now live in like old, incredibly busted formats. Can you even play dual lands in Legacy? Yeah. You can. That's one of the features of Legacy. Okay. Yep. That, that is like one of the format defining things about Legacy. Okay. So Legacy, it's basically Legacy and Vintage and I guess Commander. You can play them in Commander. Um, those are the three formats that stand out in my mind as featuring these lands. But Crafties, these are the best dual lands ever printed. They have no downside. 
Nope. They just are a forest and are an island. And uh, to read the original text counts as both forest and islands and is affected by spells that affect either. <laughs> if a spell destroys one of those land types, this card is destroyed. If a spell alters one of those land types, the other land type is unaffected. Just <laughs> This was printed on the card. This is what a questing beast was back then. Yes. <laughs> it had a yeah. lot of text. Every time you played the land. <laughs> and for those of you who want to know, because people care about this stuff, you can own one. One, the cheapest one in paper at the low price of $802 as of the day of this recording. So these cards are legendary. They are just like some of the most iconic magic cards. And for us to be able to conjure one in historic is freaking sweet. And it's powerful. Like this card is very, very, very powerful. This is kind of the elegance of the conjuring design, right? Because it can also just be a land. Yeah. It might just only be a land. And you can't just play Tropical Island in anything. It would be absolutely broken. You can fetch it up. You can splash cards for free. It would be absolutely insane. But with Conjure, now it really only fits in a deck that's willing to play Merfolk or is willing to play a one-mana 1-1 one, one to run it, which is not the greatest thing to be doing most of the time. You don't want to fix your mana by getting turning a land into a Tropical Island by having to play a 1-1 one, one that doesn't isn't going to do too much in the course of a game. Although that remains to be seen because the card is decent. But is it decent outside of a merfolk shell? Yes, that is a great question. And I agree that like you do need to have a merfolk deck probably to have this card be good. But this is the kind of card when you play this as a role player in a deck that is doing broken things. This is the kind of card that just like butters your bread for you. Like, you want one of these in every opening hand. It smooths everything out. It lets you do your combo on turn three or, what, you know, whatever it is. The only real question is just how good a Merfolk going to be. I don't know. I think this card sees play in, like, any competitive Merfolk deck. There's about 300 cards to be spoiled yet. Let me ask you this. Is this part of a cycle? Ooh, that's juicy. I that's know. That's juicy. Are we going to get a red-green one? Are they all going to be tribal? Are we going to be able to conjure all the different dual lands? Or is this a one-off? Oh, man. I don't that know. That would be so sweet. To, to be disclosed, crafties. To be disclosed. Yeah. Stay tuned. All right. I'm going to read this next Planeswalker here. Sarkin, Wanderer to Shiv. Three and a red legendary Planeswalker, Sarkin. I'm just going to say it right now, crafties. This card has the word dragon printed on it. All right. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you were worried, this is a four loyalty planeswalker, Sarkin. It has plus one. Dragon cards in your hand perpetually gain. The spell costs one generic mana less to cast, and you may pay X rather than pay this spell's mana cost where X is its mana value. Then it also has a zero conjure a shivan dragon card into your hand. Boom. Yep. The boomers yep. just shut it in their chairs. And minus two, Sarkin Wanderer to Shiv deals three damage to target creature. Conjuring Shivan Dragons in Historic. What do you think, CDB? Dude, your buddy just slipped you another Shivan Dragon <laughs> over the counter, man. It's legal now. Guys, get used oh, to it. it. It was the bane of our existence in the day. Now it's just the thing. I think that this is a fun card. It is another uh, Timmy Johnny specialty. Yeah. But as far as like Commander and Brawl goes, this could definitely be your Commander there. Because... There is kind of some craziness with the perpetualness. I, I do hate that it's a monocolored commander because the mana fixing of it is amazing. But the plus one, this 
ability that your dragons now cost one less and you can pay mana of basically generic mana to cast your dragons instead of paying their cost. So every time you plus one, all of your dragons cost a Mm -hmm. generic less. This stacks, right? Yes. Yes, it stacks. That's freaking amazing. Even if Sarkin dies, it stacks. Yes, it keeps reducing their cost every time you plus one it. And they all gain the ability to pay X rather than their actual mana value, which means your all-mountain situation can cast your five-color Niv-Mizzet, and it can cast it for like four mana after you plus this thing once. So let's get clarity on this. It's just any dragon card in your hand has this applied to it, right? So it's not just dragon cards in your hand at the time the ability was used. Uh, It is. You have to have the card in your hand when you use the ability. So if you have two dragons in your hand when you use the ability, it will reduce both their cost by one and give them the ability to be cast for generic mana. If you top deck a dragon the next turn, you would have to plus Sarkin again to give it that ability. And it wouldn't cost less as well. It wouldn't be reduced until you plus the Sarkin again. That's really interesting, man. Yeah. That's cool. This is a cool planeswalk. It is cool. It is cool. Yeah. It uses perpetually, so it it's like it permanently alters the card as it's in your hand. Wow. It, and this, by the way, if they bounce your dragon, it still costs less and can be played for generic yep. mana. This is the way it works for the rest of the game. Yep. And if they bounce your conjured Shivan dragon, it's still a Shivan dragon. It's pretty cool. Yep. There's something really weird about this where I'm imagining, you know, when you play Jeskai Mutate and you would try to like scroll through your card after about six mutations and it was like this endless wall of text. That's what these perpetual effects might do to certain cards. You know, you might have like line after line after line of like extra text for how the card works and it just keeps adding throughout the game. Oh my gosh, the boomers are oh, mad. Oh, they're just they're, fuming they're right raging. now. They're just melting through their chairs. Dude, they, they're they typing long comments. They're still not as long as these cards are going to be. So the only thing I want to add about this card is like the potential to misplay with this card on the battlefield is so high. And I'm talking about you, the owner of Sarkin. Like you're going to forget that your new cards don't get the cost reduced. I mean, it's it's going to get confusing real quick, man. You're going to mm-hmm. draw other dragons. You're not going to remember which one has the no, 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 no. So read your cards carefully if you're playing Sarkin. I also want to touch on the art. What's up with this peekaboo art on the text? Are those his legs? Wait, what are we talking? Oh, I see. <laughs> Look. <laughs> Look at the text. Look at the text part of the box. Uh, those are those, his legs, those right? Are his legs, yes. He misses leg day, man. <laughs> look at the look at how ripped he is up here. You can't even see any muscle on the leg, but look at those skinny little things. <laughs> I'm losing respect for Sarkin as we speak, this man. This is why he rides dragons, man. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's also legs. wearing his dragon gloves. Like, what are those gloves, dude? Dude, dragon gloves are are pog, man. That's exciting Does Sarkin stuff. just have dragon heads for hands now? Is that what's happening? No, no. You can see the line. Those are puppets. You can you can see the line right there on the bicep, right? <laughs> he just takes those things off when he's done doing his photo shoot for Instagram, okay? <laughs> but you got to hide them legs. Got to gotta filter those out. Yeah. Sarkin, he picks flowers in his spare time. This should be called Sarkin, you know, social media influencer. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram celebrity Sarkin. There you Plus go. one, gain 100 Instagram followers. All right, next card. <laughs> I will read Baffling Defenses. This is one in a white for an instant, and it says target creature's base power perpetually becomes zero. That's that's forever. That, that creature is done uh, having power zero unless it gets buffed forever, in some other way. Forever. Dude, zero. Forever. Now, I put this on the list, and we'll get to it 
soon, but there are some cards that have been banned already in Historic Brawl because you could give the commander a subtraction from their toughness perpetually. Yes. And that's bad because people from now on just don't have a commander. But I mean, you don't always play a commander for its power, but man, the idea of perpetually making a commander's power zero and no matter what zone it changes, it always just has no power. That's really brutal. brutal. You want to talk about being brutal to aggro mages? Yep. How about your commander has no power? How about that? I mean, yeah, I wonder if they're going to ban some of these perpetual cards from the commander format. We're going to have to, I mean, from the brawl format, right? We're going to have to see. Yeah, we're going to have to see. But okay, on the other hand, what if you just played this as a removal spell in Historic? What if Arclight Phoenix has zero power perpetually? It could be pretty nasty for those recurring threats specifically, right? And it's also just like mm -hmm. a totally fine way to neutralize a bigger creature like a questing beast. Like you're not going to feel great about having a questing beast just freaking neutralized, right? Yeah, I, I think for two mana, it's a really good rate. Like if it were one, it would be busted, right? Okay, so here's a question. If it perpetually becomes zero, does that mean that any further effect will not apply? So let's say that after it becomes zero, then like they buff it. Does the perpetual not apply then? Uh, depends on the effect, but I think the answer is generally, it's like we reprinted the card to have zero power. Okay. So if you equip it with a Maul of the Skyclaves, it has, it has two power. If you buff if you, it for the turn. Yep. Okay. Yeah. If you infuriate it, it will have three power till end of Got turn. It. Then it goes back to zero. Okay. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah, you're right. This card looks like a limited all star, but it's definitely the kind of card that could just end up being the right removal spell in a certain situation. Yeah, I think it's interesting and notable, I but agree. probably significantly more notable is going to be the other perpetual card that we'll come to at the end after this one. Stay tuned. Awesome. All right. So next, I'm really glad that you highlighted this card because I definitely wanted to talk about it. Return to the ranks. X white white sorcery has convoke, which it's been a while since the last Ravnica set. Your creatures can help cast this spell. Each creature you tap while casting the spell pays for one generic or one mana of that creature's color. Return X target creature cards with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So, yep, this card has lots of possibilities. Okay, so you know what I'm excited about? I don't know if it makes sense in this shell, but they're like, they've printed another card that I want to talk about, Thalia's Lieutenant. Yes, I was trying to decide which one of those to put on this yes. list. Yeah, so this is just the kind of card you could imagine potentially playing in a list like that. Um, it could also even be a combo card. Okay, Thalia's Lieutenant is a 1-1, one, one, and whenever it enters the battlefield, it's 2-mana 1-1, one, mm -hmm. one, and when it enters the battlefield, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on each human you control, and whenever a human enters the battlefield, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on Thalia's Lieutenant. Okay, and it is a human yes. itself. If you return to the ranks for Thalia's Lieutenants, how big are they? I don't even know. That's crazy. <laughs> I believe they're all 9-9s. Nine is that how it stacks up? They all buff each other in the go wide sense, and then they all buff each other in the go tall sense. I think yep. so. Yeah, because they all see each other because they enter at the same That's time. That's cool. Now, throw in a hardened scales. Oh, man. Oh, man, CGB. <laughs> Don't give me. ideas. I have no idea. I, I mean, that's eight instances of counters, so it's eight plus one, so it's another 16 counters? I don't know, man. Yep. Yeah, this card is really cool and potentially quite powerful. I'm trying to think of other things. Obviously, Thalia's Lieutenant is sweet. Obviously, ETBs, like anywhere where you can like stack a bunch of ETBs and 
play cards that create more creatures because then convoking is more powerful. But yeah, this card isn't quite Rally the Ancestors, which was a broken standard deck, but it's trying. Mm-hmm. Like, it's in that ballpark. And Luris is a good reason to play yeah. a lot of cards that cost two or less. So we know we can fill out a deck with those types of cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we have learned is that having a deck with only one and two mana creatures in it, can that can take you across the finish line. So a lot of powerful things to be doing and trying with this card. This is also a card that just gets better the more stuff gets printed into the card pool. So like, and the fail case of like just paying three on this and bringing back a two drop, it's not great. It's not what the card's designed to do, but it's totally a fine play. Cool. Yeah, very exciting card there. Lots of powerful opportunities. All right, CGB, I'm going to let you take us into this one. This This is a doozy, by the way. You're going to make me read this one? Oh, yes, I am. I made a video earlier this week where I just gave up. I I got like halfway through a certain part of it, and I was like, I'm done. I'm not reading anymore. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't want to get a law degree just to be able to understand this card? No, it actually broke me. Get it? Anyway, you're about to get it at home, everybody. You're about to cringe. This is Davriel Soul Broker. (laughs) Now you get it. This is... uh, a mythic legendary planeswalker, Davriel, and it is two black black for four loyalty. The plus one says, until your next turn, whenever an opponent attacks you and or planeswalkers you control, they discard a card. If they can't, they sacrifice an attacking creature. Just going to pause right there on this plus one to say this is another one of those Ashaya binding of old gods gotcha moments if the opponent just literally doesn't read the card. And if they don't, who can blame them? If they like rip that questing beast off the top and they're hellbent with no hand and they slam it and attack with it and they have to sacrifice it, that's going to be one of the most rage inducing moments ever. But it's a cool plus one. I like the plus one. All right. Minus two. Now it gets weird. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to read minus two yet. We're going to read minus three first. Okay. We're going to read minus three first. Minus three. Target creature perpetually gets minus three, minus three. Again, like we reprinted the card to be minus three, minus three. If your creature has three toughness or less, if it ever reenters the battlefield, it's dead. That is why Davriel Soulbroker is one of the cards that is already banned before even halfway through spoiler season, they banned it in Brawl. From Brawl. Yep. Makes sense. Because if you minus three, they're kin and commander, they just never have it again. And and this is a brawl, like this could be your brawl commander, which is particularly messed up. You want to talk about scooping on turn one. I wouldn't play like a game against this card if my commander might get minus three and just, you know, be done. That's insane. Yeah, Yeah, it's gnarly. Yeah, this I think people are going to underestimate how powerful this ability is. That's my prediction. I think you're 100% right. I think Mm -hmm. it's a very powerful ability to perpetually alter a card minus three, minus three. Mm -hmm. All right, the minus two. This is where I do become a boomer. My boomer brain just says, enough. I can't. (laughs) All right. Minus two says, accept one of Davriel's offers, then accept one of Davriel's conditions. That's all it says. Mm -hmm. What what the hell does that mean? Does anybody know what that means? It's it's not on the card. Read the card explains the card. No, it doesn't. This is why the boomers are fuming. (laughs) Reading the card actually does not explain the card. It's not there. So this set comes with a PDF download, which is a little ebook. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't actually, but basically there's like a little separate book which you can choose to read with Davriel and it basically outlines all of the offers and all of the conditions. And there are like 
just some ridiculous number of each of these. So Davriel has eight offers and eight conditions. Yep. And I'll I'll just give you a couple samples of them. Samples? So, we read the cards here on the Arena Craft Podcast. Oh, snap. All right. <laughs> and now you've been ambushed. You started this. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> okay. How about an offer? You read the deals. I'll read the conditions. That sounds good. Here's my conditions, CGB. I'll read the offers and you read the conditions. Sound good? Fine. <laughs> All right. So, number one, draw three cards. Number two, conjure Mana Guardian into your hand. Whoa, 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 whoa. hold Guardian. on. Now we have to look up what a Mana Guardian is. Now we have to read this card. Mana Guardian, two and a black, creature demon, four, three. When Mana Guardian dies, each player seeks a non-land card of mana value, two or less. So we get Seek. <laughs> seek. We get to explain a new ability. Are we you ready? We haven't even explained Seek yet. This is like, you know what this is like? This is like nested parentheses, it dude. Is. This is a Coda's nightmare. I specifically didn't put a seek card on the list and put this last for this exact moment. You are such a troll. I am. And I even got you to read it. <laughs> oh, I just stepped so hard into that trap, man. All right. Well, as your penance, you're going to have to be the one who explains to us what seek does. That wasn't part of the deal. This is the deal I just made. You're you're altering the deal? Pray this I is... don't alter it further. <laughs> this is Arjuna's ultimatum. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fine. Fine. So seek. Seek means that how how is it worded on this card? I'm trying to remember if this is like a universal thing for seek or if this is like a thing that just works the way that this card works. I remember because I remember it from the changeling. Okay, it says each player seeks a non-land card with mana value two or less when mana guardian dies. So seek basically it's a tutor, but the tutoring is done completely at random. So there's no need to scroll and choose and tank and run your timer and shuffle or anything like that. It's just, boom, here's the card. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, when this dies, each player seeks a non-land card, a mana value two or less. A card is just going to appear, or maybe there'll be a snappy animation in your hand. It will be one of the cards, I assume from your deck... Yes, deck, it does yeah. go into your library. If it were from anywhere in the game, that would be bizarre. But yeah, it will be a card from your deck with mana value two or less chosen at random from the cards in your deck that have mana value two or less that are not lands. So uh, if your only non-land card of mana value two or less is for some reason you set it up to be such a way that you can only get this one card, you'll get that card. But for the most part, there's a random element to it. Really yep. bizarre ability, but there's some other seek cards that like when it enters the battlefield, seek a creature from your library that shares the most common creature type in your library, right? And that card just yep. whoosh, it's in your hand. And it's not like conjuring, which makes an additional copy. This is the card from the deck. So your deck is now minus one of those things and it had to be in your deck to begin with how'd i do you you did great cgb thanks appreciate you it. did great we've reached a bargain okay so that's mana guardian that incidentally is just a card that you can play regularly as well i'm pretty sure yep. so um there you go so the third one return two random creature cards from your graveyard to your hand they perpetually gain plus one plus one number four return a random creature card with the highest mana value from among cards in your graveyard to the battlefield number five you get an emblem with creatures you control get plus two plus oh number six you get an emblem with spells you cast cost black less to cast 
Number seven, you get an emblem with Davriel Planeswalkers you control have plus two, draw a card. Okay, we're altering the deal even more here. And then <laughs> and then eight, you get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. And let me stop and ask you, CGB, do you get to pick any one of these and any one of the conditions? Or do, are you given like a random Sam? I, I think I heard somewhere you get to choose three at random i i was waiting i was waiting to uh jump in with that yes Mm -hmm. the game will select three of these at random and present them to you to make your decision there you go it's not like venturing into the dungeon where you get to pick which dungeon this is like nope it's just going to give you three of these eight and you're just going to pick the one you like the best when you minus your davriel selecting the ability of minus two you have no idea which of the three you will get offered how about that doesn't that sound fun but sounds on amazing. top of that you'll get the three you will make your selection and then and only then you will receive the conditions so you don't see the conditions before you make the selection correct brutal and now <laughs> if you guys zoned out for those offers well i'm about to read the conditions so here we go number one you lose six life number two Exile two cards from your hand. If fewer than two cards were exiled this way, each opponent draws cards equal to the difference. So there's no getting out of it by being hellbent. Your opponent gets to draw. Number three, sacrifice two permanents. Sacrifice this permanent. Number four, each creature you don't control perpetually gains plus one plus one. Number five, you get an emblem with creatures you control get minus one minus O. Number six, you get an emblem with spells you cast cost black more to cast. Number eight, you get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, exile the top two cards of your library. Wow, self-mill. Is that eight? Wait, I said eight. Yeah, that was seven, yeah. All right, seven. Eight, you get an emblem with at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life for each creature you control. Wow, just wow. You know what would be amazing is if the best of your offers was spells you cast cost black less to cast and then you looked at the conditions and you realized that the only one you wanted was spells you cast cost black more to cast and you just minused for zero value i swear that's why it's in there (laughs) yeah that's such a troll sometime you just break even and you get out of the deal (laughs) you know i mean the flavor of this card is just off the chain, man. You can tell that like a whole team just got off on designing this card. I guess. Good for them. I just shut down around the point of conjure a manor guardian in your hand and I had to go read what a manor guardian was. And I was like, no, I'm just going to scoop as soon as my opponent minus is a Davriel. I've had it. You know what I'm already over with playing against this card is just the opponent tanking freaking all turn. <laughs> Can you imagine, dude? Can you imagine? They're going to have to read Mana Guardian while they're making that choice. Yeah, or or look it up. Here's the thing, right? There should be like a speedrunning Davriel offers, like incentive, you just know? Just like roll the dice, right? That Did, would be sweet. Oh, sure. Uh, if these mm-hmm. were just chosen at random and there were no choice on them, it would be absolute mayhem, I think. So I think you do have to have the choice to get the full effect, but the amount of time it could take... It's really weird because they create Seek and they pitch Seek as, look how cool Seek is. You don't have to go make a decision. You don't have to shuffle. Mm. It's like a snappy tutor. You know, you're just done. It grabs the thing. And then they make this card, which is like, well, tank forever and uh, get all these 
like unpredictable decision trees of options where if you try to min-max it, you're probably going to make your head explode. And if you just select at random, God knows what'll happen. This card is this card's gonna make many heads spin, man. But uh I mean sweet design, sweet flavor. I can't dislike it. You can't? I, I dislike nope. it strongly. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, this I mean this it, is man. a card that just boils my bottoms. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, this strikes me as a very CGB card. Maybe CGB in a different kind of mood, you know? Yeah, that there guy. You go. <laughs> <laughs> this is like CGB after a long day of grinding the ladder, you know, waxes off his mustache, puts on his jacket, has a different kind of fun. Mm. There you go. So we've reached the end of the list of cards that CGB had highlighted for us to read. There's a couple of other cards that have been printed that I want to touch on quickly before we call it a wrap today. Is it called printed? That's an excellent question. (laughs) Cards that have been devised, shall we say? Go on. Okay, so the first one I want to read is Bizarre Trade Mage. One of the reasons I want to read this card is that it reminds me of one of my favorite magic cards of all time, Surrendib Afrit, Bizarre Trade Mage. Two and a blue, creature human wizard at rare. It has flying, it is a 3-4. So 3-4 flyer for three already is pretty sweet. When Bizarre Trade Mage enters the battlefield, draw two cards, then discard three cards. Oh my gosh, it's two Arabian Knight cards tied together. It's Surrendib Afrit and Bazaar of Baghdad. Exactly. Exactly. So not only is this card a total flavor win, but this is just like a total, like, this is a combo enabler. This is a hollow one enabler, if I've ever seen one. Yep. This card single-handedly allows you to play as many hollow ones as you can find on the turn that you play it. Yeah. Also, um, Madness, like we said, is going to be in the set with Fiery Temper and Blazing Root Walla. Blazing Root Walla is one red for a 1-1, but you can cast it for zero if you discard it. And it also has the ability to tap a red to give it plus two plus oh once a turn. Very good card. This card is great with that card. So there's definitely going to be a madness archetype kind of on its way. Yep. And I mean, this is a card that could just slot straight into Is It Phoenix, right? Maybe you don't find room for it, but I think it's sweet. I, I want to talk about Surrender Befreed being one of your favorite cards. I didn't know this about you. Yes. So Surrender Befreed is one of the first rares I ever opened out of a revised booster. And I was so weirded out because it was misprinted as green. It was a green card with a blue casting cost. Bingo. Exactly. I spent like a year <laughs> looking for other cards in that misprinted way. I thought like I could get a nightmare that was blue, for example. Oh, wow. Like, I was asking everybody, do you have anything like this? And they all look at it like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, I'm looking for more like this because I love the color blue, but I play the color black. So I was looking for black Mm -hmm. cards that were blue cards. Now that was a stupid question, but just that misprint alone, like, blew my mind. It was so cool, man. It was one of the early magic oddities. And the cool thing about it was that, so the casting cost and the text on the card was correct. And it was the color and the art that was incorrect. And so it was actually, there was a different card. I don't know what the green card was, but we basically got the art and the border from that other card. Yeah, I don't remember the name either. Oh, by the way, if you want a revised edition of this now, you can actually get one for only 
$7.72. I might get that just as a throwback piece. Just as a flavor win. Yeah. I mean, bottle brush. We need the art from the revised version. Yeah. The green card with the, the blue casting cost. And when you see the original, what it was supposed to be afterwards, it's kind of a letdown, honestly. It is. So it will forever in my mind be the green version of the card. But yeah, that was, you'll be proud of me, CGB. I was a dirty Simic mage from the very start. The first magic deck that I built that I was really proud of. It was like soul rings, surrender befreats, counter spells, and I don't even remember what else was in it, but it was just fun times, man. Beautiful. Definitely caused some frustration for my opponents at the kitchen table. Man, there's a lot of cool cards in this set. I'm going to try to keep it brief. Let's go with Blood Braid Marauder. This is one and a red creature human berserker at rare. It is a 3-1. It cannot block. But wait, there's more. It has Delirium on it. This card has two mechanics, which we are not used to in Arena, so I'm going to read one of them, Delirium. Basically, Delirium gives you an extra effect, but only if you have four or more card types among cards in your graveyard. Card types meaning like top-level card types, so we're talking land, creature, instant, sorcery, enchantment, artifact. Planeswalker. Planeswalker, yep. And then, of course, if you go back in Magic's history, they also have tribal cards, which is super weird. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter right now for Arena. (laughs) Boomer reference. Anyway, so the effect on this card, if you have Delirium enabled, is this spell has Cascade, as long as you have four or more card types among cards in your graveyard. Cascade is a whole other kettle of fish. Cascade says, when you cast the spell, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card that costs less. You may cast it without paying its mana cost. Put the exiled cards on the bottom of your library in a random order. So basically what this does, it just like flips the top of your library until it finds a one drop or a zero drop permanent, which isn't a land, and puts it into play. So it casts it. It does oh, it cast it. it. Yep. Okay, there you go. So you get a cast effect if there is one. Yep. Apart from just being like a sweet card that could potentially go into a deck, this is a lot of what we're not used to on Arena going on here. I swear you chose this card to remind me how hard it is to do a set review for a master set where they just have like a billion mechanics oh from Magic's God. history that you have There's to explain so each much. one. Oh my God. Yeah. There's oh so much, right? But here's here's the thing, like, I think this card looks competitive playable to me. I think that you're going to see it, and I think you need to be ready for... And also just be aware of both of these mechanics, because they're both quite strong. Delirium has had some very powerful cards printed around it, and Cascade, you know, been in multiple, like, banned and busted decks over Magic's history. I am not convinced that this will be... A highly played card. I'm not sure that Delirium is going to get there or that cards that help you get Delirium are going to line up well with a two mana three one. But I think that there is another card that is both a Delirium card and helps enable itself. And that is Dragon's Rage Channeler that will be highly played. And I'm actually happy about it. So I'm going to read this card if that's cool. Lay it on us. Dragon's Rage Channeler is one red for a one one human shaman. Uncommon. I said before, when there are good cards that are uncommon, like it's mana from heaven because that's like, this is an expensive set, man. Anyway, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, surveil one. 
You can remember that from uh, Guilds of Ravnica, I believe. Surveil is look at your top card. You may keep it on top or throw it in the graveyard. So in a way, whenever you're casting any non-creature spells, you help contribute to Delirium because you can throw things in the graveyard. Now, this has Delirium. As long as there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard, Dragon's Rage Chandler gets plus two, plus two, has flying, and attacks each combat if able. So once you have that Delirium going, you have a one-mana 3-3 flyer. With this surveil ability yep. that keeps surveilling when you cast non-creature spells, this card, since it was introduced in Modern Horizons 2, has taken over. It has become a pillar yep. of modern, which is a really good format. I have seen multiple people post on Twitter saying this is the most impactful card from the set in modern. Yeah. And when you consider the kind of ridiculous cards in the set... That is high praise. I think at first people were like, we want Delver in Historic. And then we get this and they're like, oh, we have Delver at home. This, N- not, yes. not necessarily. Delver of Secrets is a boomer magic paper card that, they, that people really love from Modern. That requires yeah. you to have a lot of instants and sorceries in your deck to turn it into a 3-2 flyer for just one mana, which is awesome. But this, it says non-creature spell. So mm-hmm. you can run artifacts and you can run planeswalkers. You can run other types It just can't be all creatures, and you can usually turn this on. That non-creature spell part is really important for the delirium part, because if you wanted to turn it on, you can't just have all instants and sorceries. I think this card is sweet. like Very cool. Oh, yeah. Very cool card, very cool incentives, very powerful. You will die to this card, so just keep an eye on it, man. This is one of those cards where, like, if you have an opportunity to kill it early, just kill it. Yeah, because yeah. this this card's a problem. Arclight Phoenix, Dreadhorde Arcanist, like those are both decks that could play it, but there's probably yep. another type that still turns on Delirium even better. And if there are yep. more Delirium cards in the set, this card gets better. So we'll see. Yeah, very, very good card. Uh, it's right next to a card that CGB mentioned earlier, which I'll re- read real quick. Blazing Root Walla. One red mana for a creature lizard also an uncommon at 1-1 and it has the ability pay a single red mana blazing root wall gets plus two plus zero until end of turn activate only once each turn and madness zero so if you discard this card you can just cast it there you go but people don't realize exactly what that means and i was at the pre-release where the judge tried to explain to a room of like 300 gamers what madness was and how it worked and they i remember it vividly because they explained it like this when you discard a card that has madness it creates a sort of madness bubble (laughs) like a madness bubble is like an exile zone where you decide whether or not to put this card on the stack and cast it and if it has a cost you have to pay the cost What's important about the distinction here is like, whoa, that just sounds like casting a spell. What's important about this, it doesn't matter when this bubble is created. You still get the option to cast it. Blazing Rootwalla doesn't have flash, but if you discard it at instant speed, you can cast it at instant speed. You can play it on your opponent's end step or in combat. Like that's a very important thing to understand with the madness bubble. Absolutely. If you thought seize and force your opponent to discard this card... They get a free card and you lose two life. So <laughs> that's going to be fun. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Hopefully they pick yep. it. Oh, hopefully they thought sees you and your hand is like three lands, four blazing root <laughs> That would yeah. be great. That would be nice. This card is sweet. This is another card that's seen play and it's better than you think it is. And it fits into madness decks. So very, very cool. 
Okay, a uh, few other cards I wanted to hit here, and I'm just scrolling down because a lot of cards. I did want to talk about Esper Sentinel. This is one white mana for an artifact creature, human soldier at rare. It is a 1-1. One, one. Whenever an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn, draw a card unless that player pays X, where X is Esper Sentinel's power. Few things I want to note about this card. It's a human. I think that that is going to matter with cards like Thalia's Lieutenant in the format. So Crafty's, I want to let you in on an archetype which has been a player in modern for a long time. It's modern humans. It's basically a hate bears deck. It has a bunch of your opponents can't do X, Y, and Z cards in it. It also has a bunch of taxing your opponent to do stuff in it. We've got some other very, very playable human cards in the form of things like Elite Spellbinder. We also have the, uh, what's the the blue-white mage? Meddling mage. Meddling yep. mage. We have that one as well. This is kind of a critical mass kind of a deck, so we need enough playable humans that do enough relevant things in the particular meta in order to enable a deck like this. And Esper Sentinel could be a part of that mix. And this card is just going to be very annoying for your opponent to have to deal with. And it contributes to Delirium, so... This card's pretty cool. I think the artifact creature line is really epic too, because that mm-hmm. means you can also play it in the tempered steel deck and it will get buffed exactly. or Emery will be cheaper because of it. Uh, however that works. Yep. But yeah, it's also an artifact creature, which is something that's easy to miss right there next to the human soldier line. I think if you play this card and you're just hoping on its own, it does enough, it won't. Because if you're playing a one mana one, one, and it is just always a one mana one one, you're probably not putting enough pressure on your opponent to force them to play their non-creature spells and let you draw cards. They'll just wait till Mm -hmm. they have more mana. But if you Mm -hmm. have ways to buff this or benefit from it either being an artifact or human, then now you're putting pressure on your opponent to have to cast their non-creature spells, and now that mm-hmm. you're going to end up drawing some cards, which is nice. I think you're right. This falls in the category of like annoying role players in a deck which is already doing powerful things, and this is just like an extra body. It has synergies for whatever your other stuff is going on. Cards like these end up being like they're annoying, but you just get enough of them together in the right deck and they start being really powerful. So I don't know if this is a shoe in but looks like a strong card to me. It could show up in multiple different decks. So very cool. Skipping over a bunch of very interesting looking cards because we just don't really have time for all of them. But the next card that I want to read is they are basically like, they're telling us, hey, we want you to play enchantment-based decks in Historic. And they've given us a number of cards that could be extremely powerful in the archetypes. The first one I want to read is Sanctum Weaver. One and a green enchantment creature Dryad at rare. This is an O2. You can tap it to add X mana of any one color where X is the number of enchantments you control. That is a very dangerous line of text to have on a creature card as cheap as this. So as a baseline, adds one mana of any color because it counts itself. If you have any other enchantments in play, it adds, I mean, the sky's the limit, right? So this could very easily be a very dangerous mana engine in any kind of an enchantment-based combo deck or really just any kind of enchantment-based deck. Yeah, I think that Wizards has figured out that some people just love Enchantress and they put multiple cards in this set that you might want to craft and directly slot them into an Enchantress-style strategy. And Sanctum Weaver kind of 
making an insane amount of mana as a two mana card. It can be dangerous. It depends on the shell, but it's something to keep an eye on. If there were a broken Enchantress deck, I think this would be a necessary component. Totally agree. So another card which they've given us, which is just angling for there to be a broken Enchantress deck is Sithis Harvest Hand. This is green and a white for a 1-2 legendary enchantment creature Nymph also at rare. Man, this enchantment deck's going to just drain your wild cards and telling you right now whenever you cast an enchantment spell you gain one life and you draw a card this is about as competitively priced of of an enchantment draw engine as you could ask for so uh, again if you have an enchantress deck this card's going in it argothian enchantress was there back in my day and that was an oh one with uh shroud so it couldn't be targeted Uh, and it was two mana so it was a little better than this because probably the engine was protected yeah But here's the thing. This isn't going to drain my wild cards because I'm just going to craft one and I'm going to historic brawl with this legendary two mana creature. There you go. I mean, that's going to be a really fun brawl deck. Yep, totally. Fun stuff. Powerful card. Price to move might be part of a busted enchantment deck. Okay, there's another card I wanted to highlight just because it's totally wild. So Tome of the Infinite. Two and a blue legendary artifact at rare, CGB's favorite card from the set. You can tap a blue mana and tap it, conjure a random card from Tome of the Infinite Spellbook into your hand. It perpetually gains. You may spend mana as though a mana of any color to cast this spell. So, do you want to know some of the wonderful cards that are in this spellbook? Oh, I'm sure they want to know. How could we talk about the card without talking about the eight or ten or whatever it is other cards in the spellbook? But you open this door, so... I did. Cards on this list range from laughably bad to amazing. So... First card, Light of Hope. We all know what this does. One white instant, choose one, gain four life, destroy target enchantment, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. But you could also get to cast cards such as Swords to Plowshares. Very, very good removal spell. I'm not going to read all of these crafties. You just have to remember what they do. Line drawn. Yep, yep. Swords to Plowshares, Dark Ritual, Duress, Lightning Bolt. Fog, giant growth. But 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 by Arjuna, fog has never been printed in arena. Why are we not reading fog? <laughs> you know, crafties, if you don't know what fog does by now, can't help you. <laughs> All right. Anyway, here are some of the cards which haven't been previously available that you might not have heard of. Force Spike. This is the original Force Spike. They refer to other effects like this now as Force Spikes. One on a blue instant counter target spell unless its controller pays one. So this is just a Jawari disruption, basically. But it's cheaper. Okay, this one's big, CGB. This one's big. Ponder. You know, it's funny that you describe it as big. When it came out, it was described as Brainstorm at home. (laughs) That's what they did. They removed Brainstorm from the format. Then they gave us the at-home version, which you have to spend three mana just to get, by the way. So ponder, sorcery for one blue mana. Look at the top three cards of your library, then put them back in any order. You may shuffle your library. That's an important line of text. And then you get to draw a card. What's important about the line of text is the may. You may. Yes. You don't have to. Yep. Yep. Really, really good. Sometimes that shuffle is really what you need. And then we have a salt strobe, one red sorcery target creature gains double strike until end of turn if you just need to finish the game. So yeah, anyway, those are the 10 cards in the spellbook. What do you think? I mean, here's the problem, right? You have to spend three mana to get any of these one mana cards into your hand. So the question is, 
is the versatility going to be good enough? I suppose Dark Ritual is pretty sweet, right? Yes and no. Like, it's three mana, and then you have to use one in a tap. So, like, yeah. your upfront cost is four mana to get one of these. But then every turn after that, you're generating a new one mana card for free. And you don't know what it's going to be. If you're playing a control deck and you get an Assault Strober or a Giant Growth, you're probably feeling a bit like a dummy. And hitting four Spike is probably really bad because... At that stage of the game, making them pay one more isn't great. Plus, if they know what the Tome of the Infinite spellbook is, they know that Force Spike is in the range. So them playing into it is much less likely. This can be done at instant speed. You can wait till your opponent puts something on the stack and then see what you conjure. See whether or not you hit that Force Spike. But then again, the the fluctuation here is insane. You might just hit banned cards. Lightning Bolt, Swords of Plowshares, OP, banned, banned from Historic out of the mystical archive before they even got a chance to get played. Same with Dark Ritual. Okay, let's just talk about it. What about the guy who's at nine and you just conjure three straight lightning bolts? I mean, yep, that's going to be amazing. That's that's <laughs> fine. This is fine. You know, Shuffler's fine. So again, these are these salty, insane moments that are generated by the way that this card works. And it also just opens up a play space where anything can be in the spellbook. Black Lotus. Yep could be in a future card spellbook. The spellbook yeah. could get changed. Why not? Why not change the spellbook with the next expansion? Why wouldn't you? I think that would be amazing. So yeah. yeah, some of this stuff is pretty wild. I wish, I, I want them to make the really expensive version of this that only creates cards that like cost 10 mana or more. That would be sweet, man. <laughs> like that's your yeah. ramp top end, right? Your seven mana artifact that like you tap three and you tap it and it creates like from a spell book of just absolutely busted 10 mana plus cards, like omniscience and things like this. Dude, <laughs> let's go, man. Let's I'm go. I'm into it. I'm, I'm into this stuff. I just, I think it's really sweet. Okay, last card I want to read here is Static Discharge. One on a red sorcery at Uncommon. Static Discharge deals X damage to any target where X is 3 plus the number of charge counters on Static Discharge. Then put a Perpetual Charge Counter on this card and each card named Static Discharge in your hand, library, and graveyard. So basically what this card does, the first time you cast it, it does 3 damage to any target. Next time you cast it, does 4. Next does 5. Next does 6. If you have any way of recurring these, it keeps going. This looks like a real card to me, man. In any deck that wants the effect, this card, it scales with the game. In the late game, you can just freaking dome your opponent and end the game. I don't know. I'm excited about this card. Sorcery is eh. Yep, that sucks. Any target is chef's kiss sweet exactly it can just be the win con like you play That's this what I'm saying yeah you play four of these in your deck and you play like clear the mind to shuffle them back in so that the second time you go through you're casting it for like seven eight nine and so on dude how about freaking the uh finale right you just play this again with your finale sure that is probably busted in half because Let's see, the perpetual charge counter, that hits on resolution. So if you like cast two of them from your graveyard with finale, then the first one resolves and then perpetually checks the the others. So the next one's bigger. Yeah, that's awesome. So I could see some cool like spell-based control deck that plays Mizzix's Mastery, maybe finale, plays four of these, bunch of other stuff. Overloaded sweet to me. Dude, overloaded Mizzix's Mastery with these? Sounds sweet, right? That's nice. I don't know. I just like, that's a shell I'd like to try. Who knows if it's good? Sounds sweet. Okay. And then lastly, I'm not going to read any of these cards, but I just want for you to know 
that there are two kind of other decks that they really want us to be playing in this format so far. There's probably more. One of them is Squirrel decks. There's a bunch of Squirrel cards. And uh, apparently word is on the street. They had this Squirrel sub-theme in Modern Horizons 2, and they actually, in development, had to like pull back on the power level because squirrels were too strong. So <laughs> there's a there's a different timeline that we could be living in where squirrels have taken over modern. Yes, exactly. So maybe they fixed them properly. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they will take over historic. I have no idea. I haven't read all these cards, but there will be a squirrels deck. You're going to see some memer on the ladder who just can't get enough of the squirrels playing it. The other one I want to say is that slivers are coming to historic. And I don't know about you, CGB, but I'm just over slivers, dude. Like I could have, I could have done without slivers again, to be honest. I hate slivers. <laughs> it's just like, like, why are you filling my packs with this trash? That's how I feel about them. Yep. Me too. But. Uh, they're yep. there for somebody. Somebody out there loves slivers. My favorite thing to say about slivers is that there's somebody in my local commander playgroup who often plays slivers. And usually by turn five, they have easily the most dominant board by a mile and are on the verge of killing all of us with an army of indestructible, hexproof, giant, self-buffing things. And then they... Every single time they perpetually, let's use that word, they perpetually okay. get like indignant when we try to kill them. Like, like, They're why like, are you attacking well, me? What am I doing, Ganging man? up on me, man. Yeah. What did I do? Why? Uh, why would you mess with me? I mean, okay. You know? <laughs> I mean, CGB over there counted your spell. Why aren't you going after him? It's usually not even that like to stand on. Like, it's too early in the game. Nothing's happened <laughs> except they built an unbeatable board because they're freaking slivers. This this is one of the reasons I play Commander very rarely, CGB, is I just like, I don't want to have those kind of conversations. I like the covenant of 1v1. You sit down, you're like, I'm going to kill you unless you kill me. Yeah. We on the same page? All right, cool. Let's go. <laughs> me too. People people really want multiplayer in Arena. Y'all are cut from a different cloth from me, oh, man. Oh, man. Nope. Yeah, I like it. anonymous opponent. People who wanted a friends list, I'm like, why? What's the point? You're just here to kill them anyway. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm cut from a different cloth. I want anonymous enemies that I can slay with no guilt. That's what I'm here for. Indeed, which I think is why you and I are a good match here on the Arena Craft Podcast. That wraps up everything that I wanted to say about this set. Any closing thoughts from you, CGB? I'm tired. <laughs> yep. All right. There you go. That's a wrap. There will be many, many more cards. All right, crafties. So we're just going to try to cherry pick from among the ones that we feel relevant to talk about. Thanks for sitting through that. It was a lot. But yeah, this set looks really sweet. I'm stoked. It will reinvigorate my interest in Historic. I'll probably be playing some of these cards in Historic Brawl as well. And so we just have a lot to look forward to the end. You can listen to this show on just about any podcast platform. We're also on Spotify. If you are an audio listener, you can also watch the video version on Covert Go Blue's channel. Covert Go Blue streams all the time on Twitch twitch.tv forward slash covertgoblue. You can find me on Twitch as well, slash ArenaCraft podcast. We have a Patreon, and we love it when people go and join that Patreon. You can join for as little as $2.99 US, and it's a way that you help to support the show. You provide livelihoods for our editors, Bottlebrush, and now Fernando. Welcome to the fold, Fernando, who will have edited this show today. And uh, it also provides livelihoods, of course, for Covert Go Blue and myself. So. 
you are actually paying people's salaries here and it is a good thing so we appreciate all of our patrons finally i wanted to thank everyone who has joined the discord channel recently we've had like literally an insane number of people joining the discord just over the last week or two i don't even really know why but it's just been like a massive influx of people so welcome to the discord it's a cool place come join the folks hang out talk about decks get your questions answered the more review that we have in there the higher quality and broader range of people that will be in there for you to hang out with. So come join. CGB, in the meantime, I'll be shaking my fist at the 2022 matchmaking algorithm, and I will catch you next time. Later, crafties.